Well, I look forward to it every Saturday morning more than any other cartoon. And if the TV was on and I happened to be in another room and I heard that familiar theme song, boy, I would go running and plant myself in front of that big console TV when I would hear Scooby Dooby Doo, where are you? We've got some work to do now. And oh, and then there would be Scooby and his friends. And if you never happened to see the show, never happened to see the show, come on, it's Scooby Doo, people. No, but seriously, uh, the, the show followed a very familiar pattern. Even as a child in the 70s, I could pick up on the, the sort of uh, formula that they used in every episode of Scooby Doo, I think, that was ever written. That there would be a problem somewhere. They would find out that there was a, a ghost or a monster or something that was uh, wreaking havoc and, and scaring people. And so, and so who do they turn to or who gets involved? It's uh, four teenagers in a psychedelically painted van called the Mystery Machine. And so and then they've got this dog who can talk. Well, sort of, right? <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Yeah, and they've got this stuff. So, so Scooby and, and Fred and Velma and Daphne and uh, Shaggy. How can I forget Shaggy? Uh, and so they all pile into the mystery machine and, and they go off and then they start interviewing people. And then uh, at some point uh, they, they run into the monster or ghost or whatever it is. And then by the end of the episode, what have they done, church? They've taken the mask off the bad guy. And then what does the bad guy say? And I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling kids. Every single time. And I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling kids. Because what were those meddling kids doing? They were disrupting the plan of the villain. And so uh, we talked last week, we established what, last week what Old Scratch was. And if you weren't able to be with us, Old Scratch is an old name for the devil. And so a uh, verse that we looked at as we closed out last week from 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And so I, th I just think that's interesting that John puts this as the reason that Jesus appeared. The reason that Jesus came. And yes, we know that Jesus came to be an atoning sacrifice. He came to show us how to live. We looked at that last, we discussed that briefly last week. But that he also came to destroy the devil's work. Now Peter tells us that the devil is like a lion. Like a lion who is prowling around looking to devour his prey. And rather than a cartoon image of the devil with a goatee and a pointed tail and carrying a pitchfork, 
I thought this image from Mel Gibson's movie some years ago, The Passion of the Christ, was appropriate. The idea of the devil embodied humanly in some way, moving around. Don't miss the fact that the people he's standing in the midst of are the church leaders of the day. These are Pharisees. Not to say that the Pharisees are the devil, okay? But just that the devil is among the church people. And why wouldn't he be? Because the non-church people, they're not a threat to his work. The non-church people are right where he wants them. They're not in church, right? So yes, by being in church, by being a faithful follower of Jesus, we put a target on our backs. And the devil comes after us. Church family, I wholeheartedly believe that. I don't think Peter, one of the closest followers of Jesus part of that innermost circle, I don't think he writes those words unless he truly believes it. That the devil is among us, making his way through the assembly like a lion waiting to devour its prey. But, why did Jesus come, church, to destroy the devil's Work, And so then we have to ask ourselves, you know, what that work looks like. Colossians 3 verse 5, Put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And so, like several other places in New Testament Scripture, we're given sort of a list of the behavior that we should not be engaging in. Now, Paul puts it in terms that uh, this, this is our earthly nature. Left, in other words, to our own devices. This is the kind of stuff we might be engaging in or tempted to engage in. This is the stuff, earthly nature... Right? It's, this is the stuff that comes natural to us. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. And then he defines greed as idolatry specifically. And so let's look further down then in this section of Colossians chapter 3. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in in knowledge in the image of its creator. And of course, you might wonder, well, how do we put on this new self? Well, of course, that's what happens when we are baptized into Christ. We are a new creature, a new creation. The old is dead. The old is left down in that water. That's why it's sometimes referred to as a watery grave. 
And so we die to the old self when we go down in that water. And then we rise from that water, sort of symbolizing a resurrection, right church? And so we come out of that water a new creation. And so, verse 11, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, in case you wonder what a Scythian is, the Scythians were a nomadic group of barbaric people that... uh, really had their heyday hundreds of years before the birth of Christ and before the ministry of Christ. But Scythian became sort of synonymous then with any type of people that were of a barbaric or kind of ruthless nature. And so, and so Paul includes it then in this list to say that even if you are like a Scythian, that there's a place for you at the table. Sort of that way of saying no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter who you did it to, who you've been with, it just doesn't matter. That is the past that was left in the watery grave. And so now here you are, a new creature, a new creation. And so then the devil's work then, church, is in all of this stuff that Paul says, this is the stuff we're supposed to leave behind. That's the devil's work. All the anger, the rage, the malice, the gossip, the lying, the cheating, the lust, the idolatry. Heard a story not that long ago about a little girl who was so proud that that she had learned the Ten Commandments. And so she went to her dad and uh, starts telling her dad, you know, I've, I've memorized the Ten Commandments. And so good dad that he was, he immediately stopped what he was doing and turned to his precious child and said, oh, that's great. Can I hear it? And so the child then starts reciting the Ten Commandments. And the dad telling the story says, you know, and I saw this as a teaching moment. It was great that she had learned them, but did she understand what she had learned? And so then he started asking her, well, have you ever, have you ever done, you know, have you ever done any of these? Oh no, I've never done any of these. No. So then he starts probing and says, well, you know, have you ever, have you ever, you know, failed to honor your father or mother and of course he knows that well, yeah, yeah, you have and uh, you know have you ever told a lie and then she's yeah well okay yeah I have told a lie you know and I know you haven't murdered anyone sweetheart but have you ever been upset with someone to the point that even for just for a moment you thought you hated them well yeah, you know and so he's kind of teaching her that there's more here than what meets the eye that there's the spirit of all this. But then she proudly said, 
But I've never committed idolatry. I've never bowed down to a false god. And then, of course, he said, well, okay, I let that one go, but I didn't want to blow her mind about what idolatry looks like in this day and age. Because the reality, unlike the children of Israel in Old Testament Scripture who were constantly turning away from Yahweh, from the God who saved them, the God who brought them out of Egypt and let them cross as a nation of people on dry land and led them in the the desert, who provided manna and quail and water and did all that for them and eventually led them across dry ground once again as they crossed the Jordan into the land that he had promised on oath to their forefathers. That land flowing with milk and honey. And what do they do? Time and time and time again, they keep turning their backs on God and worshiping the Baals and other gods of the day. And so no, we don't, do we? We don't have uh, Asherah poles set up, right? That, that we participate in, in pagan worship. We don't do that. But idolatry doesn't simply look like that, church. It doesn't. Idolatry is better disguised than that sometimes. It's not a matter of some kind of image made of wood or stone or something like that 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 people bow down to. No, we're not we're not Buddhists or anything like that. But if you've ever in your mind thought if I have that my life will have meaning. Now, that can mean something different for every single one of us. If I've ever had that then my life will have meaning. Then it's up to us to fill in the blank. Now you can roll through the scroll of your mind and wonder over the years, over the months, over the last few weeks, over the last few days, what have we ever thought? Boy, I'd really like to have that. With the idea that having that would fulfill me. Having that would complete me. If I had that job, if I attained that degree, if I had that person in my life. Now don't get me wrong, church. There's nothing wrong with degrees. Because they might serve, credentials can serve to a career pathway. And in that career, you can love God and love people. In that career, you can make a living and provide for a family. But don't make a mistake of thinking that a career path will complete you. That a career path will fulfill you. 
I've been married 29 plus years. And I love my wife dearly. But I can't think for a moment that any fallible human being is going to completely fulfill me. Because human beings are just that, human beings. And every one of us fail each other. That's part of the deal. Marriage is being able to look past the failings and love one, love someone despite the failings. And so, whatever you fill in the blank with, if I had that, don't misunderstand, church. That was the object of your worship. And it'd be easy to say, now wait a second, preacher. I didn't bow a knee to it. I didn't lift holy hands and praise it. But no, you look to it as we look to it. Let me throw myself in there too. We look to it as something that we needed that would make us whole. And when we do that, we put something else in the place of God. Because church family, make no mistake, it is only God the Father. God the Father who sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for each one of us and for all humanity. It is only God the Father that truly completes us. It is only God the Father that can truly fulfill us. The rest of it is just a lie. And therein, church family, is the devil's work. That's the devil's work. He is the prince of lies. And he will whisper in our ear all day, every day, Oh, if you had that. Oh, if you had that. If you had that lifestyle. If you shared your life with that person. Look, I want you to be focused on this right here. And boy, it can seem mundane. Making our way in the world. Providing. You know, we do it all under that umbrella sometimes. When in reality, what have we done? We've allowed ourselves to be distracted from He who can truly complete us and fulfill us. And pretty soon we realize, wow, we've been distracted for quite some time. And sometimes it's our hobbies. Sometimes it's, it's the ways we spend our time outside of work or away from family. Don't be misled, church. Idolatry isn't just about a physical idol. Idolatry in this day and age is about those things that we think are good and noble that can distract us for long enough that it separates us from God. It prevents us from growing as God's children. You know, 1 John 5.21, John says it, Real plainly, he says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Okay, thanks, John. Enough said. 
Dear children. But the way I read that, it's like, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. In Jonah 2, verse 8, part of a prayer that we discussed not that many Wednesday nights ago. Jonah is in the belly of the great fish. Why is he there? Well, because he ran from God. And as a child of God, God did what God does and God pursued him. Because God pursues us. But I encourage you, church family, don't wait until you've got fish guts all over you before you wake up and realize that you're not doing God's will. And so a part of that prayer, he says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. What a profound sentence among this prayer of Jonah's. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. John 10 verse 10 One of my favorites, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. How did we get here in this fallen world, we might ask? Well, we roll the pages back to Genesis chapter 3 and we see that perfection was in place. As I like to say, if you want to know the kind of world God intended, look at the end of Genesis 2. Creation was complete. The human creatures were made, both male and female, and they were caretakers over God's creation. And then chapter 3 comes along. And then faced with a choice the human creature makes a selfish choice. And then we get a world where pain and suffering happen. Last couple of Wednesday nights, I've informed the class that my wife has a distant cousin in Kentucky who gave birth to a child at 24 weeks, weighing barely one pound. Transported to the NICU unit at Vanderbilt and then began a roller coaster for a few weeks. And this past Wednesday night, I was able to report that, boy, uh, her cousin Catherine walks into the hospital and she said on the way in the door, Okay, Lord, I want to see her oxygen in the 80s. And she said, And the Lord heard my prayer, and there it was in the 80s. And she was giving praise to God. The brain scan that they were concerned about came back clear. They knew they weren't out of the woods. It was going to be a long, long road for this precious little girl. That's what happened on Tuesday. And then late Wednesday night, that child went to be with the Lord. Because it's a broken world, church. Because the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy.
And I know their faith has grown through this. And I know they're going to cling to their other children more closely. But it doesn't change the fact that there's always going to be a hole in their hearts for this child. But the last thing she said in that post on Facebook where she had taken a picture of her husband rocking that child as it took its last breath. She said, we will see our daughter again someday. And church family, it's not because of any career path. It's not because of any job. It's not because of any person. It's not because of anything that you can build or own. That hope that she proclaims, that we as children of God know as truth, is only because of a God who said, Wow! The human creatures made a really bad choice. And wow, the human creatures are keep on making really bad choices. But I love them. I love them enough that I gave them a Savior. The verse that Daryl read... 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Holy simply meaning set apart. That if we live the way God calls us to live we're gonna, people are going to notice that we're a bit different. Not because of anything we have done but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. And here's the rest of that thought. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who has, what church, destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I'm going to read that last part again. Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Nothing that we can ever accomplish on this side of glory can destroy death. It is only Jesus Christ, church family, who can destroy death. Let's choose wisely. Let's choose Jesus over all the distractions of our day. Jesus, who came to destroy death, who disrupted once and for all the devil's work. And there the villain is, old scratch, left to say, and I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for that meddling Savior. Amen, church. If you're with us this morning, and you have not made the declaration of choosing Jesus, 
have said once and for all, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, then we offer an avenue this morning where you can make that declaration. A way that you can go down in that watery grave and leave the old self behind. You can do that this morning. If there's another reason you need to come and join us, that we can pray with you over something, then the invitation is offered for that reason as well. Let's stand together as one and sing this song.